Well, good evening. Oh, you can do better than that. Good evening. Praise God. Well, on uh, June the 10th, I ministered. I started a message called Doubt the Enemy to Your Faith. And tonight, I hope, hopefully, we'll get to finish that up tonight. Uh, I'm not going to be able to share everything from the start, uh, from uh, lesson number one, but I'm going to just give a, a few excerpts from number one so that uh, we can kind of refresh ourselves and pick up on uh, number two and uh, fulfill that. We welcome our uh, audience that uh, is by live stream, and uh, we pray, pray everyone is blessed and minister to just what's already been said. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, let's get started. Uh, open up your Bibles, if you would, please, to Hebrews chapter number 11. We want to start it first in the King James, then we're going to do it in the Amplified as well. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. He says, Now faith is the substance of the things hoped for, being the evidence of the things not seen. Now faith is the substance. Can you say amen to that? Faith is the substance of the things hoped for. Hope is an important aspect of everything that we do in our walk in faith and everything else. And it brings the evidence of the things that we've not seen. And then in verse 6 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the key is you and I having a sense of diligence to seek him to find out what it is that he wants us to do in our life. How many of you know faith is the key for you and I? He told us all in, in four verses of scripture, starting in Habakkuk chapter number two and verse four, he said we shall live by his faith, by the faith of the Lord. In, in Romans 1 and 17, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3 and 11, the just shall live by faith. Then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, says the just shall live by faith. So he must want us to learn how to live by faith. Because faith is what moves God. And we want him to be moved in our behalf. Now, I want us to uh, read it to you out of the Amplified now. He says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed. It's the confirmation, it's the title deed. What's the title deed? Faith is. Faith is the title deed of the things that we hope for. The word hope is an, a very important power twin that works with faith. It's what your vision is. It's what your dreams are. And it's what your desire is. So it's what helps to fulfill. Hope brings your vision, your dreams, and your desires to pass when operated in faith. Can you say amen? amen. Being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not uh, revealed to the senses. How many of you know the five senses is what keeps you from operating and function in pure faith. Now, God gave us the five senses to utilize in this physical body, but that's what the enemy uses and attacks you in is your sense realm to keep you from walking in faith. I'm going to prove that to you in just a few minutes in the scripture. 
And it says, for without faith, it is impossible to please him and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must uh, necessarily believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. Now, again, I want to go back to, we have faith. Faith has components. Faith is the substance. And it is the evidence of that which we hope for. So it has three components to it. So hope, I gave this to you last time. Hope is the spark that ignites the flame of faith. Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. The word deferred, hope deferred, deferred means to prolong something. It means to delay something and literally to remove something. So hope deferred. We need hope so that it can ignite the flame of faith for us. It's the spark that gets it going. You can have all of the faith in the world, but if you don't have a dream, a vision, and a desire to connect to it, you're not going to bring it to fruition in your life. So it it plays an important part. Then the second part of that, hope is the confident expectation of the fulfillment of the promise and the vision, the dream and desire that it is yours. You know, if, if we didn't have a vision, a dream, or a desire, then what would we have? We have to have something to connect to our faith to bring it to pass, to bring the substance and to bring the reality of that which we do not see in the natural. He said, calling those things that be not is what? As though they are. How can we do that if we don't have dream, vision, and desire? We have to have something to connect to our faith to, so that it can get ignited to bring it to pass in our life. Now, all of this should be 101 to us. You've been sitting underneath the Word of God for a long time, many of you. And that ought to be nothing new to you in this reality of what God's given us to do. So on June the 10th, if you, if you want to go, go back and get the rest of that, I'm going to go back, let you go back and do that so that you can kind of catch up or you can get some further information. But I don't want to uh, stop there because the last thing I want to say to you before we go on to our next step, lesson two, is one thing about God is very important. Number one, God can't make you do anything. It is your choice to do it. God cannot make you. He puts it out there for you, but he can't make you do it. He can't make you walk in faith. He can't make you live by faith. He can't make you accept things that he has prepared for you. The other thing that God cannot do, which is really important, he can't lie. Everything that he has said in his word, he backs it. 100%. God cannot lie. Titus 1-2 says, uh, he said, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. From the very beginning, God made it very clear to mankind 
that he could not lie. He would not lie. Thank God for a God that will not lie and has not lied to us. How many of you know heaven and earth's going to pass away, but what's going to stand forever? The word of God, the word of God. God spoke the word to mankind. It is your instruction book so that you can live the life that God has called you to live. How many of you know we're supposed to live by peace? The peace of God that passes all understanding. It's to rule our heart and our mind through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we, we see this through many examples in the, in the word of God and everything else. Uh, so we, we started talking about the reality of who God is and, and the relationship that we have in our faith walk with him. And then we go on to the fact that there is something that tries to hinder our walk with the Lord, and that's doubt. So I looked that uh, word doubt up in Webster's Dictionary. Just to see, I looked it up in the, the Greek, I looked it up in, the, in the, the Hebrew, but I liked Webster's the best because he said the very first thing, doubt, his first definition for doubt was fear. Fear was his number one definition. To be uncertain about something, to lack confidence in something, to distrust, to consider unlikely. Those were his definitions. There were some more that he added to that, but those were his basic definitions of what doubt is and what it has to do. What does that have to do with me? And what does that have to do with you? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's go to, let's go to lesson two. Let's get started with it. In Mark's gospel, chapter number 11. Mark's gospel, chapter 11, starting at verse number 22. Going through 26. It says, And Jesus answering saith unto him, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Why do you think the enemy attacks so many people that want to live by faith? Because if we get the results of what faith says, it stops and thwarts his kingdom. He can't stop us from getting our healing. He can't stop us from getting our deliverance. He can't stop us from getting born again. He can't stop us from getting filled with the Holy Ghost. He cannot stop us. Because he has made a promise in his word, if I will do this, he said, I will do this. He can't stop us from getting prosperity and operating and living in it. He said, if you'll give, it will be given unto you. That's his promise. That's his provision. And so many other scriptures that he's made for us so that we can live in the abundance of all things. Can you say amen? Amen. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. How many of you are whosoever in here? You qualify. He qualified you. You don't have to be a preacher that stands behind a pulpit and preaches. This is for everybody. It's for whosoever. That's you and I to operate and to function whatever it is that God has for us in our life. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain. What's a mountain? It's an obstacle. It's whatever tries to get in your way. If it's coronavirus... He said that we've got something that we can do. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea and shall not what? Doubt in his heart. 
but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. My question to us as a church is why is uh, COVID-19 still here? Why is it here? I'm going to be real blunt because we don't mean what we say and we're not saying what we mean. Because if we say to the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, that's where it's supposed to go. That's the kind of authority and that's the kind of power that he has given to us. But he said, you cannot doubt it in your heart. You have to believe those things which you say it shall come to pass and you will have whatsoever you say it. Then he goes on and he says, therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire. There's that word desire. That's part of your hope. That's part of your dream. That's part of the vision. Your desire. Whatsoever things you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Say that with me. You shall have them. Say it again. You shall have them. It's not maybe you'll have them. I, I, I only uh, hope that I can have it. That word hope being used in the wrong sense. Because if you desire something and it lines up with the will and the word of God, how many of you know it's God's will to heal? How many of you know it's God's desire to deliver? Well, how many of you know that everybody that is sick has the right to be healed? Everybody that has been attacked in any way, they have the right for it to be removed. And what better for those that love God with all of their heart, believe what the word says. We believe what the word says. We don't take credit for it. We just simply need to believe what he's already positioned and placed inside of us so that we can accomplish what needs to be accomplished in this earth house and in the house outside of this house. It needs to touch the lives. That's what we're called to do. He said, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. My question to you, the same question I asked you last time, in this verse, what is it that you have? What? Come on, that's your, your cue to say something. What is it in that verse of Scripture... What is it that you have? Not your desire. What you believe you receive. That's what it says. He said, whatsoever things you desire. Desire is what? It is the spark. It's the spark that gets uh, faith moving in the direction that you want it to go. And then I have to believe that I actually receive it. That's what, the, that's what he's saying to us. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it and you shall have it. 
what good does it do for us to pray if we're not going to believe that what we prayed is going to come to pass? Why waste our time? If we're going to pray for our city, if we're going to pray for our president, if we're going to pray for our government, if, if we're going to pray for our friends, if we're going to uh, you know, pray for our families, what good is it going to do for us to pray if we actually do not believe that these things are going to come to pass? That makes no sense. Religion simply says God says this, but they don't really believe that God is going to do this. How many of you know, all of you have insurance policies of, of different sorts. And what is the thing that God gets blamed for? All of the disasters that transpire and take place, even in many of the contracts in the insurance company, except for acts of God. God gets blamed for everything. Whenever the Bible is very clear and uh, in uh, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have that life more abundantly. So he has made a plan for you and I so that we could enjoy the fullness of it. So when we get down to earnestness and we say unto the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. And we don't put any doubt whatsoever in our heart into uh, operation or effect. That's what the enemy wants to do. He, he doesn't want you to succeed in your prayer life and in your walk with the Lord. Because the more that you succeed, the more you're not going to doubt. How many of you have ever said, I wonder when God's going to do that? I prayed that a long time ago. When is he going to do that? Real simple. When he gets ready. Your job is to pray and to believe and receive it. It's his job to manifest it. He told the saints, he said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It is not your job. It didn't even say lay hands on them and pray. There is one place that it says for uh, anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith in James. But in, for every believer, he said lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All you got to do is go put your hands on them. You don't have to say anything to the darlings. If you see them, just put your hands on them in a nice way. Bless you. And at the same time, believe God to do something supernatural in their life. And then it's up to, to the Lord to do whatever needs to be done. See, we're trying to take too much credit and too many notches in our belts. You don't need any notches in your belt. This is not about you. This is about uh, God and everything that he has he afforded for us to enjoy the benefit of. We are nothing more than his conduit or channel to flow through. And he does everything in love anyway, doesn't he? So if he does everything in love, that means that you're going to be a, an extension of love. You're going to be an extension of peace and joy and temperance and long-suffering, meekness, gentleness and kindness and long-suffering. Because that's the fruit that you bear in your life. That's what's in you. To will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. In your life. And then the next thing he says, and when you stand praying, 
We can talk about removing mountains all we want to, but if we're harboring resentment and bitterness in our heart, you're not going to go anyplace. It's clogging up the avenue that hope can bring a spark to faith. You have his faith because he's given to every man the measure of faith. So you have his faith. It's not a matter of you not having his faith. You have every bit that's necessary. You've got the faith as a grain of mustard seed. The smallest seed that God has ever created. And he says, if you have that, you can say to that sycamine tree, be thou plucked up, unrooted. So it's not that we don't have it. We have it. Many times we just don't know how to function in it. And he's given us instructions. How many of you know we're supposed to study to show of ourselves approve? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly. So there's a wrongly. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The only way you can get it the right way is to be filled with the Holy Ghost and follow his leading. He said, if we would follow the, the Holy Spirit, we would not mind nor fulfill the lust of the flesh. Flesh wants a lot. I never will forget one uh, first church that we pastored in West Texas for nine years. Uh, I preached a message, and, and uh, I, I don't even know why I brought it up, but I, I talked about the Dairy Queen. And uh, after the service was over with, we went by the Dairy Queen. You have what you say. We went by the Dairy Queen. To our surprise, our congregation was in the Dairy Queen. Everybody, because they got that, but they didn't get the gist of everything that that was pertaining to. They got that part. And they all have an ice cream and, 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 you know, and hamburgers and the different things that they offer there. And we were going in there for the same thing. <laughs> Jesus, help us. What's that have to do with you? Forgiving. When you are praying, when you're standing in prayer, or whenever you're kneeling or wherever... He said, forgive. It is so much easier to just let go. Amen? I had an opportunity yesterday to hold something. But my wife encouraged me. She said, it's not worth it, Phil. It's just not worth it. And it isn't. He said, forgive if you have ought against any. So that your heavenly father can forgive you. See, he didn't just stop about talking about the mountain. He put a, he, he put a plan here to show you and I how to get that working for us by giving us the expression of what he is telling us. Because he didn't just stop in that, in that verse of scripture of just speaking to the mountain. He went further with that to show us how to make it work. Can you say amen? Go with me to James, if you would, please. Chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Now, we're still talking about the enemy 
that has come against to come against or is trying to come against you to hinder you from being able to walk out your faith life. Because he's told us that the just shall live by faith. How many of you know you couldn't justify yourself? How many of you know Jesus justified you? He's the one that made you clean. He's the one that washed you in his blood. Thank God for the blood. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God for the blood. Man, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. But thanks be to Jesus. Jesus paid the ultimate price. He had to, church. He had to in order for men to be restored back to a relationship that God created for Adam. Adam started out on this planet called earth. Everything was absolutely perfect. There was absolutely no sin whatsoever on this earth. It was pure. It was clean. It was holy. It was righteous. Everything was absolutely perfect until one offense. And it was high treason and it cost mankind a spirit that would be alive. You were born with a dead spirit. And the only way it can be remedied is, was by what Jesus Christ did for you and I when he became sin. Who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was never a sinner. He became sin. He became the epitome of sin. Everything that sin encompasses, Jesus became that. So that you would not be penalized. He went to hell for you. And he raised you up because of what he did. You are seated in heavenly places right now. You may not feel like you're in heavenly places, but he's already seated you in heavenly places. You're an heir and a joint heir. You've been grafted into the vine. You've been bought with a precious price, the blood of Jesus. So you and I have what it takes. You have the faith that he has. He gave you his faith. He gave you his love. He gave you his joy. He gave you everything that's necessary for you and I to be able to stand on our two feet and look straight towards the enemy and say, stop in your tracks. You have no right or access to this life. I have been bought by the precious blood of the Lamb. I don't belong to you. I once did, but I don't belong to you anymore. My name has been changed. I have a a new DNA. I don't even have to accept the old things that came out of the DNA in my family line. I get to walk in newness of life. So do you. That's what this faith walk is all about. It's about pleasing the Lord in 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 a walk in this human body that pleases him and is a witness to those around us. I look forward to the day when the, when the people of God come into the house of God and the minister stands behind the pulpit and says, is there anybody sick today? And nobody lifts their hands. Does anybody have a prayer request concerning sickness, financial problems, attacks? And the congregation says, no. 
As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. The Lord is on the throne of the house. We're blessed coming in. We're blessed going out. We're the head. We're not the tail. We're above only. We're not beneath. Everything we put our hand to, God is causing it to prosper. I'm not doing it. God's doing it. He told me to get my hands on it. He'd bless it. Is this helping anybody? You got James chapter one, five through eight. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who did he tell you to ask? Who did he tell you to ask? One more time. Who did he tell you to ask? Stop asking the pastor. The pastor's job is to spend time in prayer and in the word. Read it for yourself in the book of Acts. I believe it's chapter 6. Read it for yourself. Find out what his job is. His job isn't to be running around putting out a bunch of fires. He's supposed to be equipping us to put out the fires. The church is supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. Remember, your arm, your, his arms extended. You lay hands on the sick. That doesn't mean he can't lay hands on the sick. Except we're not going to have any. We're going to lay hands on them for something else. Like get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. To thrust them out into ministry. Praise God. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Why? Because a double-minded man. A double-minded man. He who speaks with forked tongue. On one side of the mouth, we bless God. And on the other side of the mouth, we don't. You can't have bitter and sweet flowing out of the same fountain. A double-minded man or a person that is operating in doubt, fear, and unbelief. And they can be truly born again. These scriptures are written to the church. They're not written to the lost. He's trying to instruct the church to be the church. He's not trying to get us to have a religious group of people. Because religion is a cancer to Christianity. Religion is nothing more than formalism. He's not looking for formalism. He's looking for us to conform to conform to the things that he has given to us. Go, I want to go to our first example, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 14. Well, I've already got it right here. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. This is being preached in the last several services that we've been in, but I want to use it again tonight because it is a good example 
of what really happens whenever doubt gets involved into a believer's life. And it says, in straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get in the ship and to go before him unto the other side. And I'm going to stop there just a minute. Do you know what he had just got through doing? He just got through feeding the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. Just finished feeding that massive amount of people. Just perform a tremendous supernatural intervention into the ordinary course of nature. And fed a large group of people and left 12 baskets full of fragments. Now he's asked them to get in the ship and go to the other side. Where did he tell them to go? To the other, other side. What was Jesus' intent? For them to get to the other side. Was it not? Okay. I just. I'm sure you probably already saw that. And to go before him unto the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away. He went up into a mountain apart uh, to pray. And when the evening was come. Uh, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Tossed with waves. For the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not Afraid. Now, what was, one, what was the number one definition for doubt? Fear. He said, be not afraid. Now, let's get real. We got 12 men inside of a ship going to the other side of the sea. That's what Jesus told them to do. They were being very obedient. Thank God for their obedience. But in their journey... A storm came up. And when the storm came up, they got frightened by it. Because the harder they tried to get to the shore that he told them to go to, they couldn't seem to get there. It's just like, you ever heard spinning your wheels? It was like spinning their wheels. They were going no place. Jesus recognized that in prayer in the early hours of the morning. And they're out there working hard. He's given them an opportunity to use their faith. They don't use their faith like they're supposed to. They just witnessed Jesus multiplying. And he used them to distribute it. Everywhere they turned, they saw the miracle going on and on and on. And all Jesus did was pray. Not one time do you see in here where it says they prayed. Sometimes the church gets bogged down because she refuses to intervene and get into prayer and find out what the will of the Lord is. 
concerning circumstances and situations. Why is coronavirus standing and staying around? I think it's the church's fault. My personal opinion, you don't have to quote me, I'll get in a lot of trouble. But the church needs to do her job. She needs to wake up. God's coming for a glorious church. Amen? Without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. How do you think we're going to get that way? We're going to get that way because he's going to find faith on the earth. He is going to find faith on the earth. What is it when it says he's going to find faith on the earth? That word earth there doesn't mean the round ball. It means earth. This earthen vessel. He's going to find faith in this earthen vessel. He's going to find it because it's finally going to be doing its job. He's coming for a church like that. Like you and I that want to go further. We want to know how to get to point A from point B. And from point B to C, whichever the direction is that God has us to go. So he goes on. It says that the very first thing, whenever he saw that they were in trouble, he ended his prayer up. He didn't just stop where he was at. He finished what he was doing. He was getting orders from headquarters. God was giving him what to do. And Jesus goes to them walking on the water. Now, Jesus didn't walk on the water all the time. But there was a need out in the middle because his disciples who were following him, how many of you know a disciple is a disciplined follower? They weren't very disciplined right now. They've already laid hands on the sick. They've already cast out devils. They've already seen the supernatural and everything else, but they're not doing that right now. They're caught up in fear. And so when Jesus comes walking to them on the water, what do you think that they did? was what the scripture says they did. They got caught up in fear. They got caught up in doubt because they said, if that be you, Jesus. Remember what Satan said when Jesus was out in the garden or whenever he was up on the mountain where he had to fast and pray for 40 days? He said, if thou be the son of God, if thou be, Jesus never even acknowledged that he wasn't. He didn't even acknowledge the statement. If thou be the son of God, take those stones and turn them into bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He didn't even acknowledge his statement. What do the disciples say to Jesus? Jesus, if that's really you, If that's really you, Peter says, Jesus, if that's really you, bid me come on the water to you. And what did Jesus say? Come. Now, church, every word that proceeded out of the mouth of Jesus was anointed. It was written down for you and I to be able to grab a hold of it and to move out with it, with the faith that he gave us. And he spoke to him. Let's go on and read it. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. 
And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now I want to say something to you. Jesus said to him, O thou of little faith. What kind of faith do you think it was that the guys in the boat that were still in the boat had? He said, come. Did you know that all of them could have gotten out? All of them could have walked on the water. Now, let's, let's, let's be smart about this. These are human beings. These are, these are factual things that happened. These aren't just stories that are being told. These are real events that took place. What do you think the other guys that were in the ship were doing? As they watched Peter go walking to Jesus on the water. In the beginning, as he walked on the water, I'm sure they're looking at one another and they're saying, wow, look at that. He's walking on the water just like Jesus. Look at that. This is phenomenal. And they still sit in the boat. Sometimes that's what we're doing in the church. We get all excited when we see signs, wonders, and miracles. And we're, we can't follow after the signs, wonders, and miracles. That's supposed to be the normal in church. That's norm. People come in here, they should be, and they're sick, they should get well. They should. Why? Because we're possessors of the healing virtue of the Lord. The house is saturated with it. So they didn't get out of the boat. But they're in the boat looking and they're watching. I guarantee you they're looking and they're watching. He's going to Jesus and they're in his favor for him to make it there. And then all of a sudden, Peter got sidetracked. He got sidetracked. And he saw the wind boisterous. Number one, you can't see the wind. All you can see is the results of the wind. So what did he get caught up with? He was already walking on the thing that, was, that defeated him. He was already going out to Jesus. He was being successful. Jesus was waiting on him. He gets almost all the way to Jesus. And I'll tell you how I know that. He makes his journey. Peter is doing his thing. And as he's getting out to, towards Jesus, he sees the wind boisterous, the waves and everything beating against his, his pant legs and everything else. And he got his eyes off of Jesus and he began to look at the circumstances around him. And the Bible says he began to sink. Have you ever gone swimming? When you jumped in the water, what happened? It just swallowed you up. Why? Because you're heavier than water. It just swallows you up. But the Bible says he began to sink. Began. 
he looks up, gets focused on Jesus again, and he said, Lord, help. Jesus had some faith. He reached out his hand, which tells me he was right there with Peter as he was sinking. He was watching him sink. He didn't scold him. He didn't get after him. He didn't admonish him. He didn't criticize him or anything else. But I guarantee you the guys in the boat were in there. I told you. I told you. I told you. Peter can't walk on water. Why was, why was Peter wanting him to help him and save him? Peter knew how to swim. He's a fisherman. He jumped in the water once before and went swimming out of the presence of the Lord because he was naked standing up in his boat. And he was embarrassed, so he jumped in the water. It's not that he didn't know how to swim. He actually enjoyed walking on the water, going to Jesus. And he got his focus back again because he realized Jesus was the reason I was getting to my destination to meet him. And Jesus, right there standing by him, reached out his hand, and he picked him back up. And as soon as he got him to the surface, he said, Peter, oh, thou of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you let fear intermingle with the miracle that was transpiring and taking place? And then the Bible goes on to say, when he got back into the ship... When they got back, in other words, he didn't take him piggyback. They walked on their journey back to the ship. This time, my opinion, Peter is kicking the waves. <laughs> He's not being concerned about the waves anymore. He's saying, You're not, you defeated me once, but you will not defeat me on the journey back. And when they got into the ship, what did the disciples do? They fall at the feet of Jesus. And they say, man, you're God. And they worshiped him. But doubt was the reason that he began to sink. Now, I'm going to give you two other places to go and read. Because I've run out of time. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, it talks about doubting Thomas. You remember the story about Thomas. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's already met with the disciples once, and Thomas was not present. Mary had already told him that he had, raised, he had been raised from the dead, and she witnessed and saw him. And he told her what to tell the disciples. So they went and gathered themselves. And he came into their presence. He just walked through the door. Not an open door. He just walked through the door. And stood in their midst. Well, there's another gathering. This time, Thomas is there. And Thomas, uh, the disciples had already told him. They said, Thomas, listen, we've seen Jesus. He said, well, I'm going to tell you something, guys. You can say what you want to say, but I wasn't there. And I'm not going to believe it until I see him. And when I see him, I want to see the scars in his hand, and I want to see the piercing 
in his side and let me thrust my hand into it. Jesus comes into the building. He just walks through the wall, stands in the midst of them. And he approaches Thomas. He said, Thomas, look at my hands. How did he know what he said? Same way he knows everything you say. Look at my hands. He said, take your hand and thrust it into my side where the scar is. So he did. And he said, my Lord and my God. He said, Thomas, he said, you believe me because you see me. But blessed are those that believe and see not. You and I are in that category. You did not see Jesus die. You did not see him come out of the tomb. You were not in that that group that was in that room that day. You believe in a man that gave his life for you, that you've never personally witnessed him. You didn't see him crucified. You didn't see him at the whipping post. If you did, you're over 2,000 years old. (laughs) And you're a miracle. But you did not witness that. Neither did I. But you believe it because the Spirit has revealed to you who he is. And you and I, He just gave you a case in fact of how you're going to be in this new house that you're going to possess. You're going to move at the speed speed of sound or at the speed of your voice. You're going to be able to walk through things that you didn't think that you could walk through. Because you're going to have a perfect body. If Jesus did it, He said, come and follow me and do likewise. Do the same thing I'm doing. Well, that day's coming. As soon as we put off this corruptible and put on the incorruptible, we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You're not going to have a bunch of questions for Jesus when you get there because you're going to know as you've been known. No more questions. I've always said, I'm going to go talk to Adam. I want to ask him, why did you mess this all up for everybody? But I'm not. Thank God Jesus took care of him, took care of everything. Amen. Praise God. Well, did you get anything out of this tonight? Pray that you've been blessed. Sister Nikki.